And uh, we're going to be looking at, we go through uh, the books of the Bibles, what we've been doing here on Wednesday night. And uh, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3 tonight. Um, so you can, uh, and basically we just go line for line on here and we just, we read it and we exegete it. We look at it and we try to uh, interpret it to the best of our knowledge using the, the tools and resources that the Lord has given us and the Holy Spirit, amen. And so uh, we can do that. It's, it's interesting because First uh, Peter the, is, is the epistle of hope. Everyone say hope. And hope is the expectation of coming good. Everyone say that. Hope is. Yes, we couldn't do that more sporadically than what we just did. That's like Washington, D.C. telling everyone in America how to do something right there. Everyone say, hope is the expectation of coming good. How many know that as believers in Christ, we have a hope? And that hope is through Jesus Christ. And so uh, we see in this epistle, Peter is preparing the early church and saints to get ready for persecution. And uh, right in the middle of this talk about persecution of the early church and telling them to get ready, in chapter 3, uh, he mentions, and a matter of fact, persecution is mentioned 16 times in this little book. So it talks about it quite a bit. But right in the middle of all this, Peter addresses the subject of marriage right in the middle of persecution. Do you think that was by design? Do you think that was by default? I don't know. But right here in chapter 3, he starts this, this chapter talking about marriage and um, as the guy on uh, The Princess Bride. Marriage, right? Marriage is, yeah, okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. But he, he addresses the subject of marriage, and it's, it's kind of funny. Persecution and marriage, do they go hand in hand? Some of you don't raise your hand if that's you. If it, if it you know, and so it may not. I don't know. Um, but here's what I do know, as the truth is, in days of difficulty, um, marriages will either collapse or grow stronger under the strain, right? That's, that's the truth of the matter. I, how many are married in here have been through some stuff? How many are still married? You didn't collapse, right? You grew stronger, and that's what happens. And so, and you know what's interesting to me is we live in a world that has more resources today. We have conferences on marriage. We have books on marriages. We have DVDs and video conferences and all kinds of things on marriage. But yet in our society, we see the collapse of marriages left and right. It's interesting. Um, matter of fact, at, the, at one of the pastor's conferences that I just went to back in September, uh, they threw a stat at us that blew me away that I had never heard before. I've always heard, you know, the churches, uh, people within the church are divorcing at the same rate of people outside of the church. How many know that that's sad? Well, they went a, a step further and said this, that the divorce rate amongst pastors is equal to that of the world. That just hurt my heart so bad. And so I begin to think, so there's this onslaught. Uh, that the enemy is, is, is attacking uh, us through marriages. And, and so we've got to look and we have to say, why, why is that happening? So um, here's the thing. So perhaps part of the answer lies in the same reason the Bible keeps its teaching on marriage very simple. It really does. It's pretty, it's pretty point blank. Like if you can just look at it, read it for face value, and, and walk in it. But... Um, Here's the thing, this is what I've come to, to know is this, the real problem is not knowing what to do, it's doing what we know we should do. It's not knowing what to do, it's actually doing it. It's not just the head knowledge, it's the action of doing it. And so um, if, if we just take a few minutes, matter of fact, if you took a few minutes and you, you looked at everything that Jesus said in the New Testament about marriage, you could read it within a few minutes. Did you know that? It's pretty, it's pretty awesome, actually, if you think about it. So Peter's instruction here is simple, and it's wonderful, and it's very workable in our lives. Everyone, if your spouse is here, look at you and say, hey, this is workable for you and me. All right, so if you need a subheading here, we're gonna, it's gonna, it, you, know, you can write this down if you're a note taker. Wives and husbands, this is all you need. Wives and husbands, that's your subheading. So um, 
or heading. It's in verse one says this: Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. All right, we're going to dismiss now. I'm just joking. It's a joke. It's a joke. All right, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without the word by the conduct of their wives. Talk about the head knowledge here, but also in action. Verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So this is interesting. Um, and some of you know these stats and have heard these stats, but I'm going to reiterate them to you. The stats on dads versus moms getting saved. Check this out. This is interesting. Uh, if a mom gets saved first, there's about a 17% chance that the family will follow. It's interesting, isn't it? But if a dad gets saved and goes to church, there is a 93% chance that the family will follow. And we have to stop and, and wonder why, why that is and why that we do uh, uh, such a poor job sometimes at, at reaching dads and reaching men and loving on men at times. Um, and I've seen this in, in my life uh, in the ministry that when a dad gets saved, uh, most likely, you know, his family will follow. I'll give you some examples. If you need examples in the Bible, how about Cornelius? In Acts chapter 10, when he was saved, the Bible says that his house, what, followed him. Here's another one. How about the Philippian jailer? You remember um, when, th when that happened and um, they, Paul and Silas began to worship the Lord and, the, and, you know, the jail broke open for him. The Philippian jailer fell there and he repented of his sins. The Bible says this, that his family also followed. So, I, you know, I would just want to say this to all the men in the house. Kudos to you. Give your kids something to follow. Give them an example to follow it and do that. So consequently, Peter is saying this to the wives. Um, if your husband is not saved, um, don't beat your husband on the head with your 10-pound Bible. I know you want to sometimes, but but don't do that. Don't don't come in and and tell him this list of things that he should be doing. Don't preach at him. Don't belittle him. But Peter says it. Do this. Do this. You're going to win him over by respecting him and in your conduct. You'll see that in him. So look at this. Um, verse three says this. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of your hair and the and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, uh, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. So, interesting enough, this this bit of scripture gets twisted by a lot of people really fast. But I want to look at this. The Greek word for adorn is cosmos. Everyone say cosmos. Cosmos, that is the same cosmos when we talk about uh, the universe, the, the, big, the big cosmos. It's K-O-S-M-O-S -S in the Greek. It's C-O-S-M-O-S -S in, the, in the English. And it means this, an ordered universe. Cosmos means an ordered universe. Everyone say ordered universe. This also means, uh, this is where we get our word in the English language, cosmetic. All right, how many of you ladies know what cosmetic means? All right. No, some of you don't know what cosmetic means. Um, so, so you say, hey, well, what does that mean, Pastor? So Peter here is speaking here of an order in the inner person more than an order in the outer person. You know, God cares more about what's going on in here than what's going on out here. Oh, you don't believe me? Oh, well, you remember when, when David was called? And Samuel was going through all of all of uh, Jesse's sons. What what did God tell Samuel? Hey, don't look at the outward appearance, but you know, look at the inner appearance. And so, God doesn't look at the outer and uh, appearance of people. Now, I know it's easy to get get quick on that, and and some people fall into this. They use this verse as a as a form of legalism. You got to be this. You can't do this. You got to this, 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 this. How many are so grateful for the grace of Jesus Christ? How many know that God loves every soul? How many know that God loves the soul that's tattooed all over their face? All right, so we have to see see that. So we need to understand some so. But here's interesting. Peter is not condemning women 
uh, who wear jewelry or braid their hair. That's not what he's doing. But what he is doing here, he's putting an emphasis on this and not this. All right? And, and that, that's important. So if we look at this, um, Peter is saying, uh, all, all of your focus is, you know, oftentimes, sometimes it's all on the outside, right? I heard, I heard the story, this young man. Um, his, he brought this young lady home. She was beautiful, and the dad saw her, and, and the dad just said, hey, I just, and the mom, dad and mom just said, I, I don't think this is a good girl for you, and he said, okay, and so, and they ended up breaking up. So then he brought another girl home a few weeks later, and, and she was not pretty to the face, okay? She was, she was ugly with a capital U, and, but she had a great personality, and and, 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 you know, and, he, and so the son came in and said, Dad, this is, this is the girl. I, I really like her personality. And, and, you know, you've always said beauty is skin deep. And this is what the dad said. Hey, go get the knife because we need to start digging a little bit deeper, right? And so that happens sometimes. Man, here's the thing. I've heard it say, you know, oftentimes, and, and this is just a joke. I'm not poking this at anybody. How many know that sometimes every barn needs a, needs a fresh coat of paint? Right? Yeah, sometimes that's just what happens. And, and listen, sometimes you got to paint those barns. It's all right. All right. So look at this. And, and so Peter here, he's not focusing so much. He's just saying, hey, be beautiful here. Focus on this. Be beautiful in here. Be gentle here. Be sweet here. Let people see you for your personality. Not by how much Tammy Faye Baker makeup you have going on. Some of the older people got tickled at that, right? It says this, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You know what catches God's eye? A gentle spirit. A gentle and a precious spirit. Gentle and quiet in, in spirit is derived from the idea that a, 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 that a powerful horse is brought into submission, right? We've heard that. The Greek word... Meek is is praos, and praos means strength under control. Everyone say strength under control. You know what's dangerous? A meek person. Somebody who has the ability to overpower you, but they choose to keep that under submission. Now, there is nobody that has walked this earth that had the meekness that Jesus Christ had. When he walked this earth, he had at any given moment, he could have made everyone bow down to him. He could have done anything. How many know that that is power under control, submitted to his father? So, so a meek person is one that is grounded, someone that is centered, one who knows what he or she is about and, and has a godly perspective on life. So uh, everyone looks at your neighbor and say, hey, you need to be meek. You need to be gentle. And you need to be quiet in spirit. And can I tell you something? When you are those three things, you are in style with the Lord. Maybe not in society, but when you are meek, when you are gentle, and when you are quiet in your spirit, the Lord, that is in style to him. All right, verse 5 says this. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah, everyone say Sarah, obeyed Abraham, Abraham Calling him Lord. All right. Um, you know, for all you wives, if you want to joke around with your husband, call him Lord sometime. You know what my wife does to me? And I mentioned this Sunday, sometimes in the car. She'll say, hey, pastor. She'll call me pastor. And I'm like, listen, you can call me TJ. You are, you are my, my wife. But, but it says this, that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not and do not fear anything that is frightening. So not only are wives to be uh, attractive inside, they are to stand by their husband's side. Some of you don't like that verse, huh? Some of you may be struggling with that verse in, inside yourself. There, there's, a, there's an interesting example here that, that um, Peter uses out of the Old Testament, Sarah. And, and that he uses her as the model for a submitted wife. So... Imagine this, you're Abraham, and you see three figures approaching your tent, and you know there's something special about them, and you go out and meet them, and two of them are angels, and one of them is the Lord, 
and, and you fall at the feet of these of the two angels and the Lord, and you and you begin to uh, you know say, hey, come come to my my tent and be refreshed. And over dinner, okay, over dinner there, you're sitting there, and these these men are are there eat or these these angels and the Lord are there with Abraham, and you overhear the Lord speaking to Abraham, and says, hey, Sarah is going to bear a son. How many know what? what Sarah did in that moment. The Bible says that she laughed inside of herself. How many of you ladies laugh inside of yourself sometimes when your husband says something or you hear something your kids say to your kids but you don't want to get in trouble so you laugh inside of yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So she laughs inside of herself there in that moment. And, 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 it's, and, and really this is interesting because this is confirmation to Abraham. Abraham has already heard this in, in chapter 12. This is further along. In, in chapter 18, and, and so he already knows this, so this is just confirmation coming to reiterate to him that, hey, God's got a promise on your life, Abraham, you just need to follow. And the, the scripture says that she laughed within herself. So what's the point of all this story? Reaching back to this event, Peter is saying that, that Sarah called Abraham Lord at the very point she was having a hard time believing the same vision that, that God had given him. She laughed at it. <laughs> you know how old I am? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> the Lord and Abraham, you guys are funny right now. But here's the thing. She was submitted to him even though she had questions and even laughed at the very thought. Now think about this. Uh, how, how we need this spirit today that a, a wife that, that sees a dream or sees something that her husband says or he has a dream or he has a call but here's the thing. A lot of women are tempted to say, nope, 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 not my cup of tea, not what I want to do. Not about, not what I'm about. But here's what happens here with Sarah. She remains committed and she remains submitted to her husband, even though she might be struggling inside. You may say, hey, you want me to be a Sarah, but I'm not married to no Abraham. Right? You might say that. You might be saying, hey, I'm not married to no Abraham. Uh, it's a good thing you aren't because Abraham... Um, once lied about Sarah being his sister instead of his wife. Anybody of you guys ever done that? I've never lied about my wife being my sister. Remember that story, Abraham? There he is. He's he's in the um, he's in going through Egypt, and he's like, "Hey, Sarah, hey, you you are a fine woman, but this is what I need you to do right now. I need you to pretend to be my sister, so we don't so we can pass through here quietly, so we don't get in trouble, so we don't raise any issues." And, and there's and, and you know he was worried about Pharaoh taking her because she was a good-looking woman and, and bringing Pharaoh in and making her him part of her house, and in the process of all of that, in the process of Abraham's lie, God was still sovereign over Sarah. The Bible says this in Genesis chapter twelve, verse seventeen, that Pharaoh was unable to touch her. Why? Because she was submitted to her husband. It's interesting. Even though her husband missed it, even though Abraham, the giant in the faith, man, he had some flaws. I, I, I tell you what, when I read something like that, I'm like, oh, thank goodness that Abraham had some flaws, right? And e even though in this case Abraham was going the wrong direction, wrong direction, Sarah was submitted to him, and God protected her Come on, somebody. And God protected him. And it's interesting to me. They had, from this process, they gained family. Their family began to grow. Their wealth began to grow. Their influence began to grow. And Abraham would later have to deal with the consequences of Hagar, the handmaiden from Pharaoh's servants, given to him. It's interesting. So when I, uh, so all you husbands, when I, the husband, lead my family, the wrong direction, God deals with me directly. Amen? And that's why as men, we've got to be on top of our, that's why we got to be on top of our prayer life. That's why we got to be in the word because we're leading. And if I'm not submitted to the Lord and I'm going the wrong direction, hey, your wife is praying for you. She's submitting to you. She's asking God to protect you and to give you, uh, to help you along the way. So, so here's what I want to tell you this is this. Trust God, and, and, and Sarah trusted God. She traveled with him. She trusted God, and she, and she submitted to Abraham, and God 
took care of her. Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not what? I know submission's hard. I know it's tough. I know it's tough to say, man, sometimes I'm sure Tristan does not want to listen to what I have to say. But listen to me. There, there's this thing that God ordained, and there's a covering that God ordained. And if you are walking in the thing that God ordained, God will protect you. God will be with you. Wives, don't strive with your husbands. If he has a dream, there's something in his heart. Even if it doesn't make sense to you, I want to I challenge you, travel with him. You know, some of us sometimes are good at just beating our husbands down. Travel with him. Be his, be his best cheerleader. Hey, you got this, honey. You know, one thing about my wife, when we, <laughs> we were playing softball, she, if I'd get a hit, she would cheer for me so loud. She'd be like, yeah. And I told her, I said, you need to quiet down in the stands. She was my biggest cheerleader. When I'd get on base and I'd stumble and tumble and try to get on base and I'd make it, she'd be like, go, baby. And I told her, I said, hey, you need, you need to, to quiet down. She said, I'm never going to cheer for you again. And so I'd get a hit. I'd hear everyone else cheer and Tristan would be over there. <laughs> Here's what, what that means. When you're submitted, that doesn't mean that you can't voice your concerns. Doesn't mean that you can't come to your husband and say, "Hey, God, this is this is how I feel about this," and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, anyway. So, Sarah um, stifled her laughter, but God blessed blessed them abundantly. Look at this, verse seven. Likewise, husbands. I like this little bit of verse. All right, all you guys, I beat up on the ladies. Now I'm going to beat up on the men. All right. Um. So Peter, he deals with, with marriage here for seven verses, of, uh, for these first seven verses of this chapter. And, and um, basically six of them, uh, the majority of them have to do with ladies. And not very many have to deal with men. So what does that say? Well, I'm going to show you something here. I think there's a reason for that. Um, just a little example here, a little analogy here. If you were to go to a pet store, and I don't know where you would go to a pet store to do this, and you were to buy a pet turkey, all right, a turkey, a pet turkey, you know what you would do? You would, you would pick up a cage, right? You would pick up some food. You would pick up uh, a water bowl and probably uh, most likely a book on how to raise turkeys. Anybody in here know how to raise turkeys? All right, that's what I thought. You know, so you would you would want to get some details on on how to raise a turkey. But here's the interesting thing. The turkey, on the other hand, check this out, wouldn't need a book telling him how to live with you because the smarter one gets the books with instructions. Right. So so if I bring home a pet, guess what? I have the instructions on how to raise that animal, but the animal is just the animal. It just does what it's going to do, right? It doesn't need a book. See, I think, I think you see my analogy here. Women are given a, a greater amount of instruction because their challenge is to live with men who can be much more difficult. All right, there's your chance, ladies. I gave you your chance right there. Sometimes us men can be turkeys. That's why I used turkeys right there. That was the reason why. Sometimes we can be turkeys. And, and, and Peter, he makes it simple, simple for husbands here. Look at this. The turkeys, he gives us three things, three things. Number one, you ready for this? Live with your wives uh, uh, in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. As a husband, Here's what, I, what I'm supposed to do. I am to know my wife deeply, profoundly, in the way she deserves to be known. And how does that happen? Well, let's just look at a great example, Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Let's look at this. You remember the story, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning. Jesus called Philip to follow him, and he was so impressed with Jesus that he, he told his friend Nathaniel to come Meet the Messiah. And Nathaniel's response uh, was, 
can any good come out of Nazareth, or in modern terms, can any good come from Heltonville, or can any good come from Williams? That's what his response was, Is there, or, or Lawrence County, whatever the case. And Philip said this, come and see. Come and see. And, and you know that Jesus said, uh, when he saw Nathanael, he said, oh, behold, an Israelite. Who is in no guile. What does that mean? They are, he's basically saying this. Here's an Israelite. Hey, there's no slyness in you. There's no cunning intelligence in you. It's kind of a kind of a slam on him a little bit. And, and Philip says, well, how do you know? Or I mean, not Philip, but Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, hey, I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree. And what did Nathaniel say? Truly, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus, you know, he says, hey, hey, if you stick around here, you'll see angels ascending and you'll see angels descending from heaven. And, and most people th that study these things, they say this, un that, uh, that people studied under fig trees, is there was a reason behind that. And the, the national symbol for uh, Israel is a fig tree. So truly, truly, there he is. And he's saying, he's saying, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus, you know, he says, hey. You know, just follow me. And look at this. I, I suggest Nathaniel was studying Genesis chapter 28. I don't know this for a fact, but I believe he was. Because Jesus, why, why and else would he say, hey, you saw things ascending and descending. So Jesus basically says this. Hey, I am that ladder. The ascending and the descending. Hey, I am that. So Jacob, who thought God had forsaken him, there he is. He's, you know, in that story in Genesis chapter 8, his name meaning guile. Right, So Nathaniel would have understood that, yet Jacob in his dream saw a ladder going up and down. Could it be then, when Jesus referred to an Israelite with no guile, talking about Jacob, and then went on to refer to himself as the ladder upon the angels ascending and descending, Nathaniel might have thought, hey, that's interesting because that's exactly what I was studying. So what are you saying, TJ? This is what I say in that whole story. Jesus knows his bride. You know you are the bride of Christ. Did you know that? You guys are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And he knows you so well. And, and this is, this is what, what I need to tell you is this. The best way for you to have knowledge of your wife, husband, is to spend time with her. You know how I get to know my wife? Spending time with her. Not alone, not by myself, talking to her, putting my phone down, connecting with her, looking in her deep baby blues, getting lost in them things. And we begin to talk and we begin to commune. How many know that Christ wants uh, his church to love him like that? Can I tell you, Jesus looks at his church and he looks deep into the eyes of the church and says, I love you. I'm so proud of you. Uh, so, um, number one, live with your life with, uh, with, live with your wife with understanding. Number two is this, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Husbands, not only are we to have knowledge of our wives, but we are to honor them as weaker vessels. So, uh, the ideal here of a weaker vessel does not mean intellectually or morally or spirit, spiritually inferior. You know, some of your wives have better degrees than you do, right? Some of your wives uh, may be morally uh, uh, more astute than you are. Some of your wives may be more, uh, uh, you know, more of a spiritual giant than you are. But here's, what, here's where the weakness uh, stems from. Is this? This is this is the weakness. Okay, follow me here. If you're a note taker, come on, take some notes right here. Is this? Is her innate desire for spirituality? You say, well, what does that mean? I'll give you a good example right here. In Genesis, it, in the Garden of Eden, it was Eve that Satan seduced, not Adam. Why? You know what? He didn't seduce her with a party. He didn't seduce her with a wild lifestyle. How did he seduce her? Hey, God said you wouldn't die. That's not necessarily true, but there is some knowledge here that you don't know about that you will get to know if you will 
this fruit. Interesting. Eve was the weaker vessel in the sense that she was more vulnerable to Satan's suggestions and that she ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter 3, you can, you can read that. So this tells me that, that my wife will have a desire for the Lord, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That, that, that will perhaps transcend my own at times. And for that, I can say, hey, I'm blessed. I'm glad that I have a God-fearing wife that loves the Lord. That I am grateful for that. On the other hand, that means she may also be more, more vulnerable to some of Satan's subtle seductions. What do you mean by that? And that tells me, you know, here's the thing, uh, you know, that tells me that, you know, we need each other. Me and Tristan, we need each other. She knocks off my rough edges, and I soften her up. No, I'm just kidding. And, 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 and you know, and we need each other. Where, where, where I need to be a disciplinary, where I am a disciplinary at times with our kids, she is soft-spoken and sweet sometimes. And sometimes she needs to be the disciplinary. Sometimes I'm soft. And, and, but we need each other. And here's the thing. You know, me and Tristan, we go together um, like, like peanut butter and jelly. We do. You know, where I'm weak, she's strong. Where I'm strong, she may be weak. But here's the, here's the good thing. God designed us. We make up for each other's weaknesses and strengths. So look at this. After the fall, the situation got a little bit worse for man. And, I'll, and you know, you can look at this. Um, so a man had to work the land, right? And, and, and basically the woman would have to have child labor, but she would, she would be for the man. So that's why husbands, listen to me, this is good, this is a good point. That's why husbands hear their wives say, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And then wives hear their husbands saying this, hey, I'm just trying to provide for you. I'm trying to, to, to fill needs of our house. I'm, I'm just trying to do that. So it's a curse that will affect every marriage in one way or another at some point. You ever heard this from your wife? Maybe you're here. Maybe you don't. This is rhetorical. You're just not hearing me. You're just not listening to me. Have you ever heard this, wives, from your husband? Listen, I go work a job, and I do my best to, to, to give for this family and to, to provide everything that we need. That's the curse that we live under. So husbands, not only are we to have knowledge of our wives, but we are to honor them as the weaker vessel. Here's, here's number three. Since they are heirs with you. Here's the good thing. They, you, know, I, you know, some of you may get stuck on that weaker vessel portion, but look at this. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So um, they are to be enriched. Uh, husbands, you are to be enriched by your wives. Let's say, guys, just, just for an analogy here, you inherited $10,000. Everyone say, praise the Lord. All right. Guys, you inherited 10000 Now let's say your wife inherited $10 million. Everyone say, praise the Lord. All the wives said, praise the Lord, right? Here's the thing, guys. This is what I want to ask you. Would you want to be joint heirs with your wife if she inherited $10 million? The answer is yes. Absolutely, right? Like, yeah, we're connected. We are joint heirs. Absolutely we would. So husbands, you can enjoy, listen, I, I, I didn't get to this a few weeks ago when I, was, when I was speaking. Grace, the word grace in Scripture in the New Testament is the Greek word charis. Everyone say charis. And the, and, and the beauty, grace of your wife is the beauty of life if you see your wife as being rich in the things of God. You know she can enrich you. She can. She absolutely can. You may say, hey, I don't need my wife spiritually. I, I'm a mighty man of God. Well, let me show you something in Scripture, okay? Let me pull you down a little bit because that's what the Word of God does. In Exodus chapter 4, God called Moses to set his people free, right? God said, hey, Moses, set my people free. Yet after hearing the word of the Lord, he found himself pinned down. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 25, down, he was pinned down by the Lord's strength. And you know what his wife did? You know what Moses, does anyone know what Moses' wife's name was? Zipporah. Everyone say Zipporah. So there you go. So you know what Zipporah did in that moment? Seeing what was going on, she, she understood the situation. It says this, that she took a sharp rock and circumcised the oldest son 
of Moses and her. Some say, well, that is a weird story. Yeah, that's an easy one to overlook and, and really fast. And the Bible says this, then the Lord released Moses to become the nation's leader. So God told Moses that his eldest son, uh, that, every, that the oldest son in Egypt would die, right? You remember before the Passover lamb. So J Moses had a problem because his own son was not circumcised yet. Uh, and, and God had told them in the covenant, hey, they needed to be circumcised. And Zipporah knew this. While others awed at Moses' leadership, right? We can look at Moses and go, man, what a leader he was. While others are impressed with Moses, the children are like, yeah, go Moses, right? And led by Moses, Zipporah knew that God could not continue to use Moses if he failed to tend to his own son. Let me tell you something. You know, I, I, can under, I can understand this story a lot because as a leader, as a pastor of this church, I feel like I'm going 100 different directions. And my Zipporah up there, Tristan, will grab me and say, hey, this is your family. Listen, this is our first response. And this is, this is the first ministry that you're called to, Mr. Skiles, Pastor Skiles, is this household. And it's a good reminder to me. And so I, I look at this story. And uh, God, listen, husbands, God put your wife in your life to enrich you. Not to stifle you, but to enrich you. You know what I love about my wife? We don't like the same things. I like to watch sports. She likes to watch whatever. Whatever I don't like to watch, you know. It's what happens, right? But. You know what? She enriches me. She likes tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes. But she enriches me. There's things that I like that she doesn't like. I like fried food. She's not a huge fan of fried food. One day she'll get saved. But God put, husband, God put your wife in your life to enrich you. She enriches me. She strengthens me. You know what happens when I listen to her, when I honor her, when I know her, when I hear her, when I begin to speak to her? My wife, listen, she plays a huge role in my ministry. And I would be wrong to say, hey, I got this all by myself. Listen, I am so grateful that God has put her in the ministry with me. She is a joint heir with me. And here's what I know. I will, enjoy, I will enjoy the grace and the beauty of life to the degree that I know when I honor and when I listen to her. So, husbands, three things. Have, have knowledge of your wives. Honor them as the weaker vessel. And they are to be enriched. Uh, you are to be enriched by your wife. So, look at this. The next portion says this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh, this is easy to skip over. So, husbands, more than success in life or ministry, more than uh, professional accolades, more than material wealth, God wants you to experience uh, of being a joint heir with your wife in Christ. This is a beautiful thing if you really think about it. God wants to see your kids growing up and serving him wholeheartedly. You know where that starts? Dad, you, your spouse, then you pass that on to your kids. And, I mean, it just keeps going and going. And, and, and this is what happens, and I, I'm so glad. Um, when your priorities are amiss, God will stop you dead in your tracks. Dad, Mom, he'll stop you dead in your tracks to the end that he did with Moses. Think about that. God stopped Moses in that moment, and Zipporah stepped up in that moment. And this is what I want to say. If you, if you notice a dryness, listen to me, husbands, if you notice a dryness in your, in your prayer life, I mean, how many have ever prayed and there's just been like a brass ceiling? You feel like your prayers are going nowhere. Anybody ever felt that way? If you feel that way, I want you to stop and think about something. And, and most of us go, Lord, what's going on in my life? And what's going on in, in, in me? But honestly, for husbands, look at this. What's going on in my home? What is, what is out of whack? See, the Father loves us so much. Uh, that that he to let us go about our business for him. If if things are not right at home with our families, he'll he'll just say, "Hey, time out. Let's get this right. 
Now let's go on. So, so if our faith doesn't work at home, it doesn't work anywhere. Amen? Amen? If our faith doesn't work at home, it doesn't work anywhere. So that's just a little encouragement to you, Dad. So here's a second subheading that we'll get to. Man, and I've got to really hurry up here. Man, I did not mean to go that long. So look at this. It's called to be a blessing. Verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or revealing, uh, or re reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless for this, uh, to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. How many want to obtain a blessing? Verse 10 says this, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. How many want to have a good life? How many want to have good days? Get this thing under control. You got to get this thing under control. So after talking about marriage, boy, this is, whoa, Peter coming out swinging right after talking about marriage. Listen, you got to get this thing under control right here. Oh, some of you parents know what I'm talking about. When your kids talk back to you, you're like, mm, I know you didn't just say that to me. I know those words just didn't come out of your mouth. So after talking about marriage and, and, and uh, love life, Peter, he shifts gears here, and he begins to talk about loving life. And even in the midst of persecution, listen, remember who he's talking to. He's talking about hope. He's talking about a persecuted church. Even in the midst of a persecuted church where believers were being crucified and, 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 and people were being led out to lions, Peter encourages his readers, love life. Love life. Make the most out of it. Do your best. See, I've, I've learned it. Uh, I've learned it is this, is that hard times of life that I need to watch this thing. When I'm mad, I got to just shut up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ooh, some of you say, boy, I need that in my life right now. And, and, and there's moments that I have to watch what my tongue says and what it does because here's what happens, and I talked about this Sunday. It's so easy to start complaining. Ooh, why this? Why now? Why me? Why not me? And Peter says this, if we want to love life and see good days, we're going to have to get our tongue under control. And, and, and basically, you know how you, if you keep your tongue under control, you keep evil out of your life? Come on, somebody. You got, you, got to, you got to stop it to keep you from complaining. J James says this, the tongue is like a rudder of a ship, and it also says it's like a bit of a horse. It's small, but listen to me. This thing can control where you're going. And also it can control where your kids are going. Come on, somebody. It can also control the way that your wife responds to your husband. Uh, hey, listen to me, wives. You want your husband to respond in love? Then give love with this thing, and don't be killing him with your words. Look at this, and, and his lips from speaking deceit. So the King James Version says, lips speaking guile, and, and speaking evil implies speaking against God. Speaking deceit or guile means manipulating situations to make it easier on oneself. Anybody ever done that? Oh, come on, you guys are all innocent in here. I remember one time uh, a young man in our church when I was growing up invited me to come to his house. He didn't come to church all the time. He split time with his mom and his dad. But he came to church one time, and we were hanging out during church, and he said, why don't you come over to my house today? And I was like, sweet, let's do it. And so I go over to his house, and we're having a good old time. And they lived out in the country, and his dad had this old pickup, this old, I don't know what kind of pickup it was. It was old, and it was sitting there. And we were outside. We were having fun, and we were throwing rocks. And he threw a rock, and he broke one of the windows in the truck. And I remember thinking, oh, man, this kid's going to get in trouble. And he looked at me, and he laughed. And I thought, sweet, you know, maybe he's not going to get in trouble. And then so he threw another one. And so we started throwing rocks at this truck, breaking every window in this truck. His dad didn't laugh when he saw what we were doing. And he came outside and he said a few choice words. He wasn't a churchgoer. And he was yelling at us, uh, one side up the other. And I was just like, oh, why did I come to this house today? You know, I'm thinking this is the worst. So I go into this young man's room and this poor lady that brought me home with them, she's like, hey, um, you know, wh why did you do that? And, I did, and you know what I said? 
He said that we could do that. Your son, he's the one that said we could do that. I, I thought it was okay. because, And you know what I did? I made it easier on myself, even though I was the biggest duck in the, in the puddle. I shouldn't have been. I knew better. I remember thinking when the first rock hit, I thought, this is not right. But what did I do? Oh, I just followed along. See, what happens is you and I, if we're, if we're not careful, we're vulnerable when times get tough. Sometimes we'll twist the truth. Oh, he said it was okay. Did he really? Not really. Saying things that make us look better. We manipulate situations to our own advantage, and we say, hey. And, and this is what I've learned as a pastor. When someone tells me a story, I know there's a, another flip side to that story. I do. I understand that. So if you tell me something, I know that there's probably a flip side to that story. And somewhere in the middle of your story and the other side is probably the truth. All right. Look at this. Verse 11 says this. Let him turn away from evil and do good. The, the term here literally means to turn your back on evil. When you see evil. Not going to do it. Not going to fall to it. I, I see it. This isn't good. Not part of This is what TJ should have done that day. You're throwing rocks at this? I want to go call my mom and dad and have them come get me. That's what I should have done. You know, it, it's interesting. The ideal here is, is, is this. We are to do good for others. Um, when hard times come, it's easy to say, you know, it's, it's not my fault, right? Not my fault. Not my fault. He told me to do it. If we truly want to love life and see good days, Peter says we must learn, uh, we must let our guard down at times. So this doesn't mean that we are to be bound by legalism or, or legalistic burdens, but rather to be wise and loving, um, loving guide for us. So look at this. I'll give you a good example. Um, how many appreciate guardrails? You may not appreciate them, but if you ever got in an accident and it kept you from going over a cliff, you'd appreciate a guardrail. And, and so sometimes we set these things in our life and, and, and that keep us from sin. And we say, hey, hey, this is something that I need to not do. I need to turn my, turn my away from this. And this thing is here to keep me from going over the, the side of the mountain where Tristan's parents live. They, they live up this 14 miles of canyon that you got to go up. And it is beautiful. And it is two lanes. And there it is terrible to drive up. It's curvy. And, and the drops are, you know, sometimes up to 1,000 feet down. To, and, and people wreck on that road all the time because they're in too big of a hurry, whatever the case. But I've seen so many people that have been saved by one thing, the guardrail. Kept them from dying. May, they may have gotten a wreck, but it kept them from dying. So look at this. The next portion of this scripture says, let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. You want God to see you? You want God to hear you? Be righteous, and, and he'll hear and answer your prayer. He'll see you. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is a bit, a bit of beautiful scripture. Peter is quoting um, David from Psalm 34 in the face uh, uh, um, of, of trouble that he was in. You remember Saul is trying to kill David. And David found himself running um, to hide in Gath. You, you know, and if you're any kind of a Bible scholar or anything like that, you know David going to Gath is crazy because he had killed Goliath. Gath is in where the Philistines were. And so he is going to Gath to hide with the Philistines after killing uh, Goliath. Isn't that crazy? And it's interesting. So he goes there because he's scared of Saul and he's running. And, and, and it says that people begin to recognize him and said, hey, you're the guy that killed Goliath. And the Bible says this, this is what he did. He began to act like a lunatic. And he was at the city gates and he frothed at the mouth and he acted crazy. And the king heard that he was mad at, and, and said, hey, let this guy go on his way. And David was in the worst part of his life, and he wrote this in Psalms 34. He said this, in the worst moment of his life, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my lips. I've tasted in the midst of difficulty, and the Lord is good. How many have been in some bad situations? 
How many would say, hey, I've been in some bad situations, but the Lord is good. How many would say, hey, the Lord's been good to me. I, I love that. See, society says this. The one who can, who can, who can make it is problem free or they're insulated uh, themselves from difficulty. And David says, nope. That's the opposite. Nope. It's, it's when you're wondering how I'm going to pay my next bill or will my marriage work out that God is the most real to you. You begin to put a, 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 a dependence on him. James said it like this. Count it what? All joy when you go through various trials. Oh, that's not a fun verse, is it? Peter says there is, there is hope. And, I, you know, and David says this. God is still good in my problem. And here's the problem. All of us, we don't like trials. We want to be insulated from our trials. We want to want them separated. We want a quick fix, right? But Peter says something absolutely crazy, at least, at least to our ears and our culture and our time. He says, in the midst of suffering, difficulty, and challenges, don't seek to fix the problem. Don't make it easier. Instead, choose to do good and seek peace. Don't murmur. Don't complain. You'll find that the love of uh, the love you'll find uh, that you love God because He will meet you in the midst of your difficulty. Let me read that again. Listen, I'm, I just broke down everything other than the from the marriage portion on. This is what it says: in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges. Don't seek to fix the problem. Don't make it easier. Instead, choose to do good. Everyone say, do good. Seek peace. Don't murmur. Don't complain. And you'll find that God loves you in the midst of your difficulty. I love that. I mean, I, I didn't time this this way. But, but God, I mean, honestly, he must be speaking that to our church in this time frame. Listen, in this moment of Thanksgiving, I, I, I love this. I don't have time. I'm going to stop right there. Everyone said amen.